It's good to be together on this Remembrance Sunday morning to remember and to worship God. We will endeavour to hit 11 o'clock on the dot for the silence. I can't promise, but we will do our best. But let's first just keep a moment or two of stillness, aware that we are indeed in the presence of God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let us pray. Peace-giving God, on this Remembrance Sunday, we come together to worship you, to hear the promises of Scripture, to share in reflection and prayer, to be refreshed and renewed for our own continuing lives. We come to you as we are, each one a mix of good and bad, each capable of great love and gentleness, and each longing to be loved and accepted. We come with hearts and minds filled to overflowing with ideas and thoughts, memories and regrets. Please help us to remember why we are here, not merely out of sentiment or nostalgia, but as disciples of Christ, the Prince of Peace, by whose self-giving all are reconciled to you. Forgive us any tokenism or triumphalism, And as we remember, may we be open to your spirit's touch to heal and restore our own brokenness and bewilderment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wonder if somebody could switch the lights off. That would be great. Because we will be using some images on screen and some words on screen. We come to our act of remembrance and... I think we will be having the last post paid for us within that. What will happen is you will be invited to stand and we will join in some words which will appear on the screen. Then we will have a picture of some poppies and we will hear the last post and move into the two-minute silence. During that silence, on screen will appear images from around the world to do with conflict and remembrance but also the names of those recorded on our war memorials of this church. At the end of that two minutes, a picture of some poppies will appear again, and we will sit. The choir will lead us in some songs, and then uh, there will be, I think, a further prayer that I will lead us in, after which the children will lead. So if you are able, would you please stand with me? for our act of remembrance. We are in the presence of God. We commit ourselves to work in penitence and faith 
for reconciliation between the nations, that all people may, together, live in freedom, justice and peace. We pray for all who, in bereavement, disability and pain, continue to suffer the consequences of fighting and terror. We remember with thanksgiving and sorrow those whose lives in world wars and conflicts past and present have been given and taken away. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. God. We remember those whom you have gathered from the storm of war into the peace of your presence. May that same peace calm our fears, bring justice to all peoples, and establish harmony among the nations. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Kohelet, the teacher, has written in Ecclesiastes the always poignant words from chapter 3. Everything that happens in this world happens at the time God chooses. He sets the time for birth and the time for death, the time for planting and the time for pulling up, the time for killing and the time for healing, the time for tearing down, and the time for building. He sets the time for sorrow and the time for joy, the time for mourning and the time for dancing, the time for making love and the time for not making love, the time for kissing and the time for not kissing. He sets the time for finding and the time for losing, the time for saving, and the time for throwing away, the time for tearing, and the time for mending, the time for silence, and the time for talk. He sets the time for love, and the time for hate, the time for war, and the time for peace. Our second passage is from Apostle Paul's words in the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter, chapter 4. And we read from verses 13 to 18. Our brothers and sisters, we want you to know the truth about those who have died, so that you will not be sad as are those who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
And so we believe that God will take back with Jesus those who have died believing in him. What we are teaching you now is the Lord's teaching. We who are alive on the day the Lord comes will not go ahead of those who have died. There will be the shout of command, the archangel's voice, the sound of God's trumpet, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Those who have died believing in Christ will rise to life first. Then we who are living at that time will be gathered up along with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So then, encourage one another with these words. Amen. It's our custom and our practice to mark Remembrance Sunday. A day when we pause to recall the human cost of war, measured specifically in military deaths, those men and nowadays women who died often far from home for causes that they may not have understood or even agreed with. And we do that whatever our views might be on armed conflict. We want to make it a meaningful occasion because we believe deep down that remembering is a good thing. Some Baptist churches don't keep Remembrance Sunday or don't do it very profoundly, and I think they lose out in the process. But it's not the time to enter that debate. What we're not very good at as Baptists is, in public worship, recording our own losses, our own loved ones who have died. Never mind the little deaths that life brings with it to all of us. By little deaths, I mean things like lost relationships, lost employment, whether that is through redundancy, ill health, or retirement. I mean things like lost dreams, lost opportunities, lost youth, lost health, lost certainties. The danger is that sometimes we are so concerned with our outward appearance that what is going on inside of us is something we are ashamed or afraid to admit. Rarely in church contexts will we name our sense of loss or bewilderment or grief. We put on a brave face, we put on false optimism as if somehow that is more Christian I hate to disappoint you, it isn't. In this last year, we in Hillhead have experienced several losses. Much-loved partners and family members and friends have died. Many people in this church have faced very challenging personal circumstances, and each of those brings with it a sense of loss. How, then, do we grieve What might an appropriate Christian grief look like? Is there such a thing as an appropriate Christian belief? I think it's an important thing to think about because, first of all, it gives Christians permission to grieve. It recognises the reality of death and loss and sorrow 
and allows us to admit to ourselves and to others what it is we actually feel. It gives us permission, often much needed permission, to express our bewilderment, our questions, our regrets, even our doubts. And the book of Ecclesiastes, from which we heard a short and beautiful passage, is a powerful example of what it might mean to express our innermost emotions honestly. But also the idea of a kind of authentic, appropriate Christian grief recognizes that our faith brings something to our grieving that would be different if we didn't have a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what the passage from Thessalonians is concerned with. Reminding the original readers that their loved ones who died are with Jesus and are safe in God's care. It's a complicated passage, that one from Thessalonians. It's often misunderstood or misused in ways that I think are unhelpful. But its main purpose is to comfort and encourage people whose grief is very real and very painful. So what might Christian grieving look like? I'd like to pretend I wrote this sermon for you. I didn't, actually. I wrote it for my last church after a similar year that they'd had. But I think it's still true uh, what it has to say to us about Christian grieving. Firstly, Christian grief is a timely grief. It's not repressed or suppressed, and it's not measured according to some clever psychological scheme with phases and timings. All those models are useful and helpful, but they don't always fit us. The writer of Ecclesiastes says there is a time for everything, and that includes grieving. Grieving is natural and healthy. It's part of life, and it operates best when it's done at the right time. It's a sad fact that untold damage is done to individuals, families, communities, and even churches when grief is denied, suppressed, or repressed. Grief is a God-given means of working through pain and loss in a way that ultimately will bring us release and healing. I think we do well to be reminded of that. Next, Christian grief is honest grief. It doesn't pretend everything is all right when quite clearly it isn't. It will name pain and questions and regrets and doubts or whatever it might be for that person at that time. Sometimes I think we need permission to be honest, to be honest with ourselves, with each other, and above all, with God. Sometimes we feel, wrongly, because that we are Christians and because we believe, as Romans says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, that we must just simply accept what happens with a smile and get on with being deeply spiritual. That's not the kind of grief the Bible shows us. Do you remember David weeping for his wayward son, Absalom? Or Rachel weeping for her children? Or Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? And of course, most poignantly, at the graveside of his friend, Lazarus. 
the book of Psalms, and various other parts of the wisdom literature in the Bible record for us the questions and struggling of people trying to make sense of life's events. An authentic, appropriate Christian grief will first and foremost be honest. If honesty is vital about Christian grief, so also is the fact that it is a hopeful grief. Christian grief does not see death as the end, but as part of something more, that somehow, despite the pain, despite the loss, despite the lostness we feel, we can look beyond ourselves to a trust in God's promises. Not in a twee, sugary, pie-in-the-sky kind of way. No. In a way that is honest and acknowledges the struggling we may feel. If we try to get our heads around what the Bible says about life after death, we're going to end up confused. Some places talk of resurrection. Some places talk of a new heaven and a new earth. And some talk about paradise. And as the one we heard this morning said, it talked about being caught up in the air. All of those metaphors are of their time. They are culturally conditioned. And if we try to hold them all together and make one answer out of them, we get confused and actually we're missing the point. The message of the Bible has one thing running through it in relation to death, and that is hope. There are glimpses of God's grace and mercy. There are promises of forgiveness and of peace and of life. As Christians, of course, our hope is centred on the cross, on Christ Jesus who experienced human death, has defeated it in resurrection, and has promised to each of us eternal life in him. When we grieve, we do so in the light of this hope, Balancing the honesty of our pain and sorrow with our trust, our hope in God's grace and mercy. And that's the assurance that Paul is giving to his readers in Thessalonica. The people they love and have lost are held safely by God. Our grief is hopeful and it's also mysterious. We recognize that death is a mystery. We cannot fully understand it. We cannot fully know what follows it. But we sort of sense deep inside that something is going on at that moment. The word mystery doesn't just mean a puzzle or an enigma. In its ancient Greek understanding, it had a deeply spiritual sense to it. Something of a religious truth of God is revealed through this thing. And Christian grieving can, and I believe should, have a sense of mystery about it. Again, just to remind you, that doesn't mean being artificially positive, saying, oh, it's fine, it's dandy, the one I loved is with the Lord, that's great, end of story. No, that's not what it's about. It's about holding together the honesty of our loss that we desperately miss this person or this part of our life or whatever it is with the hope that, yes, our loved one is held in God's love. And somehow 
God touches us as we hold together those in tension. I hate to say it, but Christians who walk around smiling, cheesy grins when pain goes on in their life don't offer much to a world in pain and struggle. An honest Christian grieving, suffused with hope, expresses a profound mystery and says far more. Part of this mystery is that our grief is a joyful grief. That might sound like a contradiction in terms, but I've said it before and I will say it again because I'm very repetitive. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. In my view, happiness is a fleeting emotion that comes from a situation that makes us feel good. We can be happy when life is going well. Joy is more profound. It has a mysterious quality about it. It's a positivity of attitude. It's a gentleness and a lightness of touch that comes deep within the realities of life. It's not so easy to define. And I just want to give you two examples where I have seen glimpses of joy. The first one was when I was a student minister in Manchester and I had a couple in my church who actually have visited us us here who lost not one but three grandchildren as neonatal deaths. And just the same week as that third one had died, a young couple in the church successfully gave birth to a baby daughter. And we were talking about joy in the service and... The lady put her hand up and she said, this for me is joy, that my granddaughter died, but I can delight in the birth of this couple's little girl. And then one from this year, I was visiting somebody who was terminally ill in hospital with secondary cancer. And we were chatting and the person said to me, how are you doing? And I said, yeah, you know, great, no evidence of disease looks to be okay. And they looked me in the eye and they said, I am so glad for you. That's joy that somehow comes beyond the pain and can rejoice with others. It's not a Pollyanna thing that says everything's hunky-dory, whoopie-doo. Not at all. It says there is regret, there is sorrow, but it's not bound by it. Joy is that thing that is spoken of in scripture when it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We need to be honest and authentic about our feelings. We might not be happy. Our hearts might be breaking. But this joy enables us to live life with courage and an appropriate positivity. Importantly, Christian grief is a shared grief. We talk glibly about being the body of Christ, this image that arises in the New Testament. But if that's true, then in some way we must share in one another's grieving. The letter to the church at Corinth says, if one part suffers, the whole suffers. But if that's going to be true for us, if we're going to be able to support one another then we need to be honest with each other. Not saying, I'm fine, when actually, I'm not. 
and not whinging and moaning over every little niggle. It was very telling. Um, Lily was talking to me this morning, and I said, how are you? And she said, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you about my niggles. I'm going to tell you I'm fine. Um, and there was something right about that, this idea that there's a balance to be found between pretending everything in the garden is roses and actually becoming rather boring. But it also means we need to be very alert to one another and to try and listen for what's lying behind the words that are spoken. If somebody is always saying they're fine and their face is always not fine, probably there's something going on. But also, beyond being careful with one another and supporting one another, we need to recognize that sometimes there is a corporate grieving that goes alongside our personal grieving. I think we have grieved corporately the loss this year of many loved ones, of Kerr, of Robert, of Douglas, of Mr. McGinty, and of Margaret, people who shared in the life of this church. But above all, our true, authentic Christian grief should be a healing grief. Somehow, in that timeliness of expression, in the honesty, in the hope, in the mysterious nature and in the underlying joy, and even in that sense that there are others with us, we begin to find wholeness. We begin to find the freedom to carry on living life in all its fullness, to grow in faith and grace, to be somehow strong in our weakness, be more authentically human and to experience again the peace of Christ within us. Amen. Our prayers of intercession this morning are adapted from material supplied by the Baptist Peace Fellowship and there is a response to the prayers. When I say the word words give peace in our time O Lord would you join me in saying give peace in our hearts O Lord so I will say give peace in our time O Lord and you will join me saying give peace in our hearts O Lord let's pray together living Lord in a dark hour you spoke of the gift of peace We seek that gift for ourselves. Grant us, we pray, the inner serenity which you alone can give, that we may become messengers of peace to a strife-torn world. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all who suffer for their fidelity to the calling to be your witnesses all who suffer for trying to live by the truth they have received, and all who are slandered, ill-treated, falsely imprisoned or tortured. Crucified and risen Lord, may they, sharing your anguish, know that they will also share your victory. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all who suffer as a result of the wickedness and folly of others, 
We especially pray for those who suffer from the breakdown of law and order or from the absence of just and humane laws and are thus denied the freedom to realize their birthright as your children on this earth. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for those who are fighting injury, disfigurement and death, their constant companions, nerves and bodies strained beyond endurance, the streams of compassion drying up within them, their only goal, the destruction of the enemy. Whatever the colour of their skin, we pray for them. Whatever the sound of their tongue, we pray for them. Whatever the insignia they wear, we pray for them. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all those who have been broken in battle, for those who weep and for those who can no longer weep, for those who feel the anguish and for those who have lost the capacity to feel. For all prisoners and for all jailers. For those who exist in war-torn lands. And for those who no longer have a homeland. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We pray for all those who stir up strife. For those who make profit out of the misery of others. For all who are led into vice as they seek momentary forgetfulness. For all who believe that war is inevitable. We bring to you those places where insurgency, fighting and violence bring only heartbreak and destruction. Remembering those on all sides who have died. Lord, we pray that you may hold us fast amidst all the evils of this world that at the last we may enter into the peace and joy of your kingdom. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. We bring to you our own needs and the needs of others known to us, asking that in their places of pain and struggle you will bring healing and hope. In the darkness of despair or doubt, you will be light and life. And in their losses of all kinds, you will be their shelter and refuge. Especially today, we pray for all who mourn a loved one, asking that their memories will be a source of comfort and joy, inspiration and hope, and that you will guide and strengthen them as they face a future in which that person is physically absent. Give peace in our time, O Lord. Give peace in our hearts, O Lord. Please accept our prayers and help us to live the words we have said. In Christ's name, amen. together.
Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hatred to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts. Let peace fill our world. Let peace fill our universe. Amen.